right, if you've got your Bibles, we are in Luke 1, um, and uh, I hope you've got your Bible this morning. Um, as you're turning to Luke 1, I thought I would do just kind of a, a quick poll. How many of you are planning to worship at Faith Lutheran on Christmas Eve with your families? Okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. A lot of you. That's awesome. Good. How many of you are planning to worship with your loved ones uh, somewhere else? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A bunch of you for sure. Um, how many of you have no idea where you're worshiping for Christmas Eve this year? Yeah, I mean, there's always that crew too. So, I mean, hey, Christmas Eve is just two weeks away, two weeks from today, right? So it's next Sunday, then Christmas Eve. And some of you are like, ah, right? Anybody panicked? How many of you are ready for Christmas? Yeah, I mean, you're just the, all right, all right, we don't like you. Um, those of you who are ready, the, the rest of us, uh, how many of you are maybe feeling a little bit panicked, a little bit stressed, and not ready for Christmas yet? Yeah, and how many of you are really honest? Come on. I think that, the, you know, most of us are not ready for Christmas um, yet. Mary was also not ready for Christmas. See, the thing is, you guys all knew that December 24th was coming. You've known since January 1 last year that, gosh, you know, in a whole bunch of days, we're going to be celebrating Christmas again. So, you know, whether you started preparing for Christmas back in January or July or whenever, you had advanced warning that Christmas Eve was coming. But for Mary, this was completely unexpected. She had no idea uh, of what was going on. And um, so as we think about Mary, and, and that's who we're talking about this morning, just want to lift that up this morning, that this is unexpected, that this was a surprise for her. She's going through life, doing what every young Jewish girl does, is, has her hopes and dreams for a simple life as a peasant girl. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel shows up in her life out of the blue, completely unexpected. How do you react when something unexpected happens in your life? How do you react when you're going through life, when you're going through work, when you're going through your routines, and all of a sudden, something completely unexpected, something completely out of the blue happens to you? It's a good question because this is the situation that Mary was in. You know, I think about, you know, just as maybe an illustration. If you have a, if I had a, a bucket up here and you were to hit the bucket and something came out of the bucket or knock over the bucket, let's say it's water. You bump the bucket and the water pours out. Or if I had a bucket up here of, I don't know, something like ink or, you know, oil. You, you, you bump the bucket and oil comes out. I mean, whatever is in that bucket, when you bump it, that's what's coming out. Jesus reminds us that whatever is in our hearts, that's what comes out of our mouths. So when something comes into your life, something unexpected, you maybe get bumped and all of a sudden curse words come out of your mouth. That's what's in your heart. Or maybe you're going through life and all of a sudden you get bumped and blessings come out of your life, or out of your mouth. That's what's in your heart. 
Whatever is in our hearts is going to come out of our mouths. Mary got bumped. The angel Gabriel showed up and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And as she's thinking about the Messiah, oh, good, the Messiah is coming. But Mary Joseph is not going to be the father. Oh, boy. The shame that was going to be surrounding this story in terms of what she's going to do. And so today we're going to look at Mary's response to the angel Gabriel in telling Mary that she is going to have a baby. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this time together, and for the great reminder, God, that you come to us, you bump into us regularly, and God, you invite us to also respond. And so, Lord, as we read about and consider Mary's response to the angel Gabriel, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke 1 beginning with verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, just to kind of bring you up to speed, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, we read the story about Elizabeth and that she learns that she is going to have a baby, a miraculous, you know, a birth that she's going to have that she's pregnant and it's a miracle and then mary just learns that she too is going to have a baby and it's a miracle and so you know it's maybe it's really obvious here why does mary go to see her cousin elizabeth you know in the midst of this news that's going on in mary's life i think it's because mary knows that elizabeth is going to understand hey elizabeth I'm pregnant, and it's God's fault. Elizabeth will be like, oh, I know. I'm pregnant too, and it's God's fault. I mean, there's something about coming together, sharing our stories with one another, being around people who understand us, who get us as we journey through life together. And I think that's why Mary went to go see Elizabeth. They just got each other. Two very different circumstances in terms of their pregnancies, but for sure, both are miracles. And in the same way, here at Faith Lutheran Church, this is why we talk about life groups over and over and over. Because we, like Mary, we need to be around people who get us, who understand us, and, and who can empathize with us. Because like Mary, we get bumped into also as we go through life. Things go sideways in our life, and we need to go to other people and just kind of be like, ah, this is what happened in a moat, and, and just kind of share. And they're like, oh, I get it. Or maybe I don't understand what you're going through, but I hear you, and I hear the pain. This is why it's so good and I, why I love that so many of you are part of life groups and have these relationships here at Faith. Uh, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby uh, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for a Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. And this idea behind the Messiah, Messiah in the, in the Old Testament was this concept of, of a king. Someone who was going to lead the people, oftentimes a military ruler, someone who was powerful, someone who throughout Old Testament times uh, could beat down the oppressors, throw off the shackles of slavery. When people thought about the Messiah, their minds immediately went to someone like King David. And those powerful people throughout the Old Testament who time and time again, who were able to get rid of the oppressors who had surrounded the Israelites. And so as they're thinking about a Messiah, someone who would come yet again, and by the way, Messiah means not just any king, but the last king, the last and final king who would reign forever and ever and ever. And the context at this time was that the Israelites, they were being basically enslaved. They were being uh, lorded over by the Romans. They were oppressed. And so they're waiting for this Messiah to come and liberate them, to set them free. And they're thinking about a king, the last and final king, a powerful person who is going to come along. They weren't thinking about a divine king. They weren't thinking about God coming from heaven to earth. But this is the promise that Gabriel made to Mary is that this king is going to be so much bigger than you can even imagine. So when this message came, of course, Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, wow, you are so blessed that you get to birth the, the king, the Messiah. Uh, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. After Elizabeth speaks, Mary responds. And she goes into this prayer, into this song that we know as the Magnificat. And the Magnificat is, is simply a Latin word from the, the third word in English, my soul glorifies. Maybe your Bible, this is the NIV, maybe your Bible says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so this, this prayer, this song that Mary is going to sing uh, and go through, it's just this beautiful idea of who God is and who Mary is in the midst of this incredible news. Now, the interesting thing about the Magnificat is that there are 15 Old Testament quotes as, as she's going through this. I mean, think about this. I don't know how, we don't exactly know how old Mary is. Maybe 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, she's a young teenage girl. And yet when, when the Holy Spirit, when the angel Gabriel bumps into her, what, what comes out of her mouth? Scripture. She starts praying Scripture. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? That here's this young woman who is never probably, you know, probably illiterate, certainly never probably held a Bible, and yet she can quote Scripture because she's probably heard it in the synagogue. And not only, of course, is Mary just quoting it, but of course she's memorized it. I mean, think about that. A teenage girl is all of a sudden quoting Scripture that she has memorized. 
this past week, uh, I called up uh, Lindsay Douglas uh, in, in Barcelona, Spain, and uh, we had a Zoom conversation. And I, I hadn't spent much time talking to Lindsay or communicating with her much, but we were in Barcelona, Spain this past summer as well. So it was really fun to talk about and hear about her ministry there. And I called her because I'm just like, oh, I just want to make a connection with her, and I want to bless her, and I want to encourage her, and I want to pray with her. And so we talked a little bit about our experience in Barcelona, Spain this summer, and then she shared with uh, me a little bit about what she's been doing. She's uh, doing uh, evangelism. So she goes out on the street with this group of folks from Campus Crusade, which we, of course, know as crew, and she brings coffee, and she brings food, uh, sometimes clothing, and she's just in relationship with street people, people who are living on the street, and many of them are migrants from different parts of uh, Europe and, and uh, the Middle East and, and Africa, and so she just she goes around the street just ministering to people over and over and over most every day. And it was just this conversation of, oh my goodness, I, I had to keep reminding myself, how old is she? I mean, she's right out of college. I don't know if she's 22, 23, 24. She is young in the enthusiasm. So, so Lindsay is on the, on the right, and this other young woman is someone that Lindsay has met there. She's from the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia, the country of Georgia. But look at her face. Look at both of their faces. And just this enthusiasm of connecting and the hope that people are finding in Jesus Christ through this young missionary woman. I mean, here's the ironic part. I thought I was calling Lindsay to bless her, to encourage her, to strengthen her, and to pray with her. I was on cloud nine the rest of the day. I was so inspired by this young woman who just said, I am going to go and be the hands and feet, the eyes and the ears of Jesus Christ to the people living on the streets in Barcelona, Spain. I get so inspired hanging out with young people who are on fire for Jesus, young people who know God's word and they want to share God's word with other people. That's who Mary was. She's just this Jewish young woman who's got God's word deep in her heart. And when the Holy Spirit bumps in her, all of a sudden she starts talking. This is what the Magnificat is all about. I love hanging out with young people. And I hope you can find some young people too to hang out with. People who are on fire for Jesus. Tuesday night, if you haven't brought a meal over to uh, the folks over at Salt, I met with Jonah this week. Oh my goodness the things that they are doing there, they will inspire you. If we think that we are blessing the ministry of salt, which we are for sure, you spend a little time on Tuesday night over at the ISU uh, campus with the salt folks, you will be blown away and you will be blessed. This is what young people do for us is they inspire us in their faith and the ways in which they share it. So Mary continues on in this prayer. My soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, and I know some of you like to write in your Bibles or, or take notes, I'm going to give you three ideas or three thoughts from the life of Mary this morning through the Magnificat in terms of how we are in, how Mary responded to God, but how we also are invited uh, to respond to God. So let me read this again. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God my Savior what does a Savior do? Saves. 
A Savior saves. A Savior rescues. A Savior does what we can't do ourselves. And so the first idea from the Magnificat that I want to lift up to you this morning, Mary recognizes that she is a sinner. Mary recognizes that that she can't do what she wants to do. So she says, I need a rescuer. I need a savior. Mary says, because I am a sinner, I need someone to come and rescue me. And she looks to the heaven and says, my soul magnifies the Lord because he has come to save and rescue me. Now, why this is so important is because it's each one of us, like Mary, the very first thing in our lives is we need to acknowledge our sinfulness and our brokenness. And last week, I erroneously spoke about this kind of whole story uh, of Mary and, and her, uh, her conception. And I, ta- I referred to it as the immaculate conception, and I was wrong. And I just want to go on record here and correct this morning. The immaculate conception means that Mary was without original sin. That's false. I mean, right in this very statement here, Mary tells us that she was with sin like all of us are with sin. And this idea of immaculate conception is a false teaching in the life of the church. It was a miraculous teaching for sure. But Mary, even in the midst of that miracle, she knew that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. But we all have this condition, right? We all want to try and get closer to God. We all want to strive to do things to bridge the gap between us and God. We all want to put forth our best effort, right? I mean, we're good Christians, right? And so we want to do what we can do to be close to God. But the problem with that is we can never accomplish that through our own efforts. That's called religion. It's doing what we do in order to be close to God. And over and over throughout Scripture, we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when Jesus comes along, he says, ah, you're getting it wrong here, folks. It's not about what you do. It's about what I've done, what I'm doing and what I will do for you in this relationship. So let me just give you an illustration because it's getting cold outside. I went online and Googled what is the most popular beach in America today. Anybody, anybody else's mind on the beach thinking, ah, it'd be nice to go to the beach. I learned that Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, is the most popular beach uh, in the United States today. That's the number one destination. So I just thought, well, that's a great place to go. Um, And so let's just say we all get on a bus and go to Myrtle Beach um, because we're going to go swimming, and we're going to swim over to uh, Spain, right? Because that's where Christopher Columbus came from, right? And and I was uh, at the place where uh, he set his ship sail this past summer. So Christopher Columbus is a little little bit on my brain. So we're all going to just swim uh, to Spain. And so those of you who are not very good swimmers, we're going to collectively wade out into the water a little bit. And, uh, you know, your feet are going to stop touching sand and you're going to drown. Boom, you're gone, right? That's some of you. Some of you are pretty good swimmers and we're going to swim. We're going to keep swimming. You're going to be about half a mile out and all of a sudden you're like, I'm tired. And then you're going to drown, right? Okay, so that's two-thirds of you are gone, right? So do we have any good swimmers here today? Okay, a couple of you, really good swimmers. That's awesome. So I don't know if you've ever swam a mile or two or three or four. Let's say you're like an elite swimmer. You're four miles out, okay, off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. 
And then I whisper into your ear, you've only got a little over 4,000 miles to go. Boom, you go down too, right? I mean, none of us can swim from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to Spain, but we try, don't we? We try over and over and over. But the only way we can get to Spain is for someone else to take us to Spain. We can't do it on our own. And so Mary acknowledges right out of the gate, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And this is the same message for us to learn this morning. The very first thing, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is we have to acknowledge that we are sinful people and in need of a Savior. And then we wake up tomorrow and we acknowledge it again, and we acknowledge it again, and we acknowledge it again. We just acknowledge it over and over and over. We call this, of course, our confession. And this is what Mary does, and it's a great reminder that we all need to live surrendered each and every day, that, God, we can't do it without you. For he has been mindful uh, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary acknowledges that she is a sinner. And number two, she acknowledges the awesome power of God. She looks at her own condition, her own state of being, and says, whoa, I am, I can't do this. And then she looks to God and says, but God, you can do this. So not only do we need to acknowledge our own brokenness, our own sinfulness in need of a Savior, but it's, it's, we need to acknowledge that God is, he's enough. He is powerful enough to do what we cannot do for ourselves. A.W. Tozer, uh, a theologian and pastor, uh, said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if you think that God is weak, if you think God doesn't care, your prayer life is probably going to be anemic, right? Because God really can't help you anyways. Or if you think God doesn't care about you, You'd be like, no, I'll kind of throw it up to God, see what happens, right? But if you think that God is powerful, that he is mighty, that he is able to do anything, you're going to pray very differently, aren't you? You're going to have conversations with God that look very, very different. It's going to be like, God, this is a problem in my life, big problem. But I know you are a bigger God. I know you can handle this. I mean, think about this. When uh, each one of us was little, uh, I'll, maybe I'll just talk for myself. When I was a kid, um, I thought my dad was awesome. I thought my dad was amazing. I thought he was the most incredible, powerful. I just thought my dad could do no wrong. He was amazing. He was awesome and powerful. I'm like, man, my dad is amazing. And then I became a teenager, right? And I'm like, I started to see his flaws, and I'm like, oh, my dad is dumb. And he can't do this, and he can't do that. And, and throughout my teenage years, over and over and over, I, as I thought about my dad, I'm like, man, he is worthless, right? And, and that just became the sole lens through which I viewed my dad. And then I became a young adult, and I'm like, okay, I see his flaws, but he's, he is actually quite an amazing guy. 
I mean, how we look at the other person is going to determine the relationship, how we see them in terms of what we think they can do. But with God, if we think God is powerful and awesome, whatever is going on in your life, God's like, I got this. You're going to pray and have this rich and incredibly deep relationship with God. How we think of God is so important. Verse 53. Let's see. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary understands that she's a sinner in need of a savior. She understands the awesome power of God. And number three, she understands that her story is part of God's story. She understands her position. She understands God's power, but she also sees the potential when our story collides with God's story. She remembers the promises. She talks about, you were merciful to Abraham and his descendants and his promises to our ancestors. So here is a young teenage girl who remembers what God has done looking way, way back throughout history. Many people in Mary's day had forgotten of God's goodness and faithfulness in their history. And they're like, ah, God's forgotten about us. But not Mary. She embraced that history. She remembered, and I think she remembered because she had so much scripture living in her heart. And that encouraged her and it reminded her over and over and over of God's goodness and faithfulness to her ancestors and to her. And I think even today, so many of us forget of God's goodness and faithfulness in, in our own ancestors' lives, in our, in our past, in our history. What we need to do is constantly remind ourselves that God is good. He's faithful. But we're not going to remember if we don't pick up our Bibles and read it. We're going to forget like the Israelites forgot. Keep in mind, Mary had no internet. She didn't have a Bible. She didn't have any Bible tools. She didn't have a little device that she could just kind of look up scripture verses, and yet she was able to grow deep and walk with God in a very profound way. How did she do that? She did it because she was dedicated to looking back at the history of God's people and saying, ah, God's people and I were part of uh, one another. We are connected. So you can go through your Christian life, your spiritual journey. And you can listen to preachers every now and then, you know, come here, show up, and listen to me rattle on about some stuff, and sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. Or you can listen to other preachers online. You can listen to commentary people. And, and, and you know what? I'm just here to tell you, if, if that's your, the, 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 the sum total of your spiritual life, you're going to grow about this much. You just cannot sustain a deep and a wonderful, rich relationship with God just by showing up to church every now and then or tuning in online. We have got to dig deep, like Mary, in God's Word. And of course, this is why we're reading through the Bible in 2024. Genesis through Revelation. What did I say? 12 minutes and 9 seconds a day. Digging deep. 
just reflecting and, and reminding ourselves. And, and many of you I know have read through Scripture before. It's not like you don't know this book, or, but I think you've forgotten. I've forgotten. And it's important for us to constantly be going through God's story time and time again to remember to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. Last time around we read this. Um, some of you, uh, I remember showing up at one of your houses. One of you held up the Bible last time, a couple of years ago, and said, I had no idea that was in the, this book. I'm like, I know, isn't that awesome? Well, I'm not sure. They were really wrestling with some of the stuff going on in Scripture, right? Because some of this is really difficult. And it led into just a really uh, rich and wonderful conversation about what's in God's Word. And that's, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it next year. And I just want to, some of you are a little overwhelmed. Some of you are like, ah, oh, I barely got through it last time. Or I didn't get through it last time. That's okay. January 1, 2024, we all have an opportunity to step back into God's Word because the more we are in God's word, the more I think that we are seeing God moving out in the world and, frankly, in our own lives. A couple months ago, um, Logan came to me and said, hey, Dad, I want to get a new pickup truck. And I'm like, that's awesome. I want a pickup truck, too, so I wasn't super happy about it But because uh, my son was going to get a pickup truck before me, and he'd saved up a bunch of money, and he was going to pay cash and this and that. And I've been researching pickup trucks, too, so I know a little bit about pickup trucks. And so he said, yeah, Dad, I've got the perfect pickup truck that I'm going to get. And I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, it's, it's a Nissan Frontier. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's kind of one of those really rare cars. I don't know that I could, you know, what a Nissan Frontier looks like. And um, I don't even know if there's any in the state of Illinois or, you know, maybe, maybe different parts of the United States there's a, a Nissan Frontier. And he's like, no, Dad, they're, they're all over the place. And I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, Kevin Nicholas has got one and Jeff Valander's got one. And I'm like, really? I've been over to Valander's and I've been over to Nicholas's. In fact, Kevin parked his pickup truck in my driveway one time. I have no idea what a Nissan Frontier looks like. So Logan flew to North Carolina because apparently that's how you get pickup trucks now is flew, sight unseen, you know, paid cash, drove this pickup truck back to Bloomington. I'm like, oh, that's a Nissan Frontier. Well, would you believe that ever since this Nissan Frontier has showed up at our house, I am seeing Nissan Frontiers everywhere. I feel like when I go out on the road now, every other car is a Nissan Frontier. I'm like, where did all these Nissan Frontiers come from? I mean, it's, it's like all of a sudden they just dumped them all off in Bloomington, right? Well, you know where they came from. They've always been here. I just have not been looking for them. See, my prayer is the more that we are looking for God in 2024, I think the more we're going to see him. I think God is still moving in our lives, in our community, in our church, and in the world. I just don't think we're looking for God too often. And so what we're going to do is not only look for God's moving through the Scriptures, but we're going to share with one another. This is where I see God moving in Scripture, in my life, in my family, in our congregation, and through the world. And we call these God stories or God sightings, and I know some of you have got some really cool ones already because you've shared them with me. And this is why it's so important for us to share our God sightings or our God stories with one another. Because the more we share these stories, the more we start to see the presence of God, the Holy Spirit moving around us 
in all sorts of different ways, whereas before we're just like, ah, I just totally missed it, didn't see it at all. And my prayer is through our time together. Someone is going to bump into you. A situation is going to bump into you. And rather than something coming out of your mouth that you attribute to whatever in the world, you're going to say, ah, that's God moving. And it's just going to become a part of our daily lives, our language and how we talk to one another and communicate with one another. And, and by December 31st, 2024, we're just going to see God everywhere. Because he's moving, right? And my prayer is that God's just going to open our eyes and we are going to see him through our congregation, through our lives, through our families, and in the world, just everywhere. And like Mary, like Mary, we are going to be blessed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mary's response to this miraculous, incredible gift that you gave her, that even at the time, she, she understood Messiah, but she did not fully understand all that was yet to come and what you were up to. And yet, Lord, even in her limited understanding, she could say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Her heart was just overcome with joy and wonder and awe. And God, I want to pray for our congregation here at Faith Lutheran Church that we too would be like Mary, that as things happen to us, we would just be like, ah, God's moving. God's breathing. God is just all around us. And that, Lord, we would be encouraged. And that our hearts would be so filled with your word and your presence that we couldn't just help ourselves but to share with others all that you were up to. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.